So here's where we are. We talked about incommunicable attributes of God, the way God is most different from us. We talked about God's independence and his unchangeableness and his omnipresence and his eternity. We talked about those four. And this morning, I want to talk about God's unity. Last week, we talked about time and Einstein's theory of special relativity. And I understood a little bit of it. And I'm not sure, but I thought it was just good. And I was thankful for Mike Mobley doing that and showing how a Christian view of time in the Bible was consistent with modern physics. Today, I want to talk about God's unity, spirituality, and invisibility. Next week, as Bob said, Easter, no enrichment classes. Then the following week, a missions festival, a mission speaker here with translator, John and Wendy Bockelman, who are going out from here as our own missionaries are going to speak. John and Wendy, right over there, right over there. And then uh, Robbie Kuhlman, where are you? You're, are you translating next week? You just found out that uh, these Spanish-speaking missionaries who don't speak English, they're going to speak and you're going to translate? Thank you. <laughs> you just found out. All right. Good. So that should be exciting on the 23rd. And then April 30th, come back and do God's knowledge and wisdom and then truthfulness and faithfulness. So we're moving on in this list of attributes of God. That's, uh, that's where we are. Well, this last incommunicable attribute I want to talk about this morning is God's unity, or sometimes it's called simplicity, the idea that God is not made up of parts. And what we're doing here is trying to guard against some mistakes that people might make, as we'll get to those and see those in just a minute. First, a definition of God's <clears throat> unity. God is not divided into parts, yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different times. When scripture speaks about God's attributes, it never singles out one attribute of God as more important than all the rest. Although I know there are some that receive emphasis, God's love, God's holiness, they do receive emphasis. Um, but uh, some are emphasized at different times. But think about these verses, 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I think we can say from this that not just part of God is light and part is darkness, not that, but all of God is light. Or this one, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. How much of God is love? One-fourth? No. Uh, all of God is love. That is, love is a characteristic that, that describes his whole nature, his whole being, just, just as God is light, it describes his whole nature, his whole being. And when God is telling um, Moses, declaring his own nature, he lists several other of these attributes. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, there's one, God's mercy, and gracious, there's his grace, slow to anger, we would call that his patience, and abounding in steadfast love, there's his love. Mercy, grace, patience, love, and faithfulness. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He's faithful. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This would be his justice and his wrath. He will not clear the guilty. So, again, when God is describing his own character, he, he, he lists a number of attributes. Um, and I suppose he could have mentioned more. But in each case, we could say, how much of God is mercy? Well, 
all of God. It's 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 description of his nature. How much of God is grace? Well, all of him. How much is love? How much is faithful? Uh, all of God. So, so these attributes are not characteristic of just some parts of God, but of all of God. That is his whole nature. If it's true, it's true of him, not just of part of him or sometimes true of him. Therefore, and, and I should say, we talked about God being unchanging. And if he's unchanging, then if he is just and he is loving and he's truthful, he's always that way, not just on Tuesdays or Thursdays or something like that. It's just that he always has these attributes. All right. Now, that means that God's justice is holy justice. And his justice is loving justice. And his justice is wise justice and beautiful justice and we could go on and on eternal justice and omnipresent justice and omnipotent justice and uh, um, all-knowing justice and uh, on and on we could go with every attribute of God characterizing his justice or we could say what about God's power his omnipotence God's omnipotence is truthful omnipotence and its eternal omnipotence, and its omniscient omnipotence, and kind omnipotence, and eternal omnipotence. That is, every attribute of God is qualified by every other attribute of God. <clears throat> and that makes sense if you think that we're talking about God as a person, and these attributes are just different ways of, different perspectives of looking at the whole of the person of God. Now, that means that God's being is not just a collection of attributes added together, as if some parts were just and other parts were loving and other parts were holy, that kind of thing. Um, that would be a picture like this. Let me see if I can... I don't want to move this. When I start cutting off that screen... Am I cutting off the screen for you? Yes? How's that? Can you see it? The screen? Now can you see the screen? Monty, all right? How's that? Okay, we're good. All right. So it's not like this, as if God is, oh, here's justice, and here's truthfulness, and here's love, and here's patience, and here's jealousy, and here's wrath, and here's mercy, and here's grace, and here's omnipotence, and here's omnipresence. And you keep on, you get this whole cluster of attributes so that God is kind of one part this, and one part this, and one part this. It's, it's not that. And God's attributes are not additions to his real being, as if they're kind of just something added on. So it's not like this, where you have this big circle will be God, and then his love is just a little bit of extra added out here, and his truthfulness is extra, and his omniscience is extra, and all these qualities are extras, but not really characteristic of his whole being. It's not that. but they are descriptions of his real being, his character. Therefore, what this means is that God's actions are always consistent with all of his attributes. God's actions are always just, always loving, 
always truthful, always wise, always right, always faithful. It's so easy to be tempted to forget this. And we can read some parts of the Bible and think, oh, God, it was just, he forgot to be loving here. He's judging this city or something like that. But we don't want to go there. We don't, or, or we say, well, maybe just for a little while God wasn't fair when he did this. But then that would be to say that he isn't just at some point. But we don't want to say that. And I think we want to resist any temptations that people would have to say, well, sometimes God wasn't you know, completely consistent with his love or, his, or justice or something like that. Now, I agree that some actions show some attributes more prominently. When he rains fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, it does show his holiness and his justice and his wrath against sin. But I think we have to say that is still consistent with his love and his mercy. And uh, his mercy is not... His mercy is not going to always forgive sin forever unless there's a payment for it. And so unrepentant people with hard hearts, eventually there's a judgment. And so, it would, and so it's consistent with his mercy, but his mercy wasn't his only attribute. There was also justice. And so we have an entirety of God's character that is acting at every single place. And I think we should also say that if God's with regard to God's unity, or that he's not divided into parts, that that no attribute of God is more important than all the others. It's God himself that's more important. Um, And so he's a a unified being. Let me just... um, Let me go back to this. How then should we think of God? I think that this picture is more helpful. If this big picture is God, and then... I could say that um, these red lines are God's love. Well, all of God is love, thoroughly, through and through. And then um, God's justice, well, let's say these blue lines are God's justice. It's all of God that is just. And how much of God is mercy? Well, these lines will be God's mercy. It's all, all of his character is mercy. And how much of his character is um, holiness? Well, it's all of his character that is holiness. So every attribute characterizes the whole of God's being. Now, when I say we shouldn't think of some attribute as more important than the others, I know that... Um, People bring up, well, doesn't Jesus say the uh, greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, your neighbor as yourself? Why is that the greatest commandment? How can love be a summary of the law? I think because love has to do with how we relate to other people and how we relate to God, and I realize that's important. But I don't want to make God's love the most important attribute because then it starts to say some others are less important. and that, That's what I don't want to do to diminish some other qualities of God. And I know also some people have mentioned God's holiness because um, in Isaiah 6, the seraphim cry out before God's throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I know that's they're overwhelmed with God's holiness. Um, But I don't want to say that that's more important than his love or his justice or his truthfulness or his knowledge. I don't want to minimize any of these because these are attributes that characterize all of his being. 
Application. What do we, how does that apply to our life? I suppose we should ask, have you ever thought that God has been unjust to you? Well, don't, <laughs> don't, because he is always just. Um, all, his, all his actions are just, all his actions are fair. Uh, have you ever thought that he's been unloving or unkind to you or to others? All of his actions are consistent with his love. But it's a righteous love, and it's a holy love, and it's not a love that ignores sin. And, uh, but, it's, but, but he does act in love toward us. Um, and Romans 8 assures us that though we do not always understand in this life, yet from the perspective of eternity looking back, we will know that for those who love God, all, um, all things work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Noni? Yes, I, I'm getting a report. I hope you can hear me. Um, this is probably the most difficult concept I deal with, a physical concept in counseling, because it's so difficult to compartmentalize aspects of God and when I heard you, and I'm going to repeat it again. Noni, what, are you director of our counseling center now? What are you? No, I, what am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a counselor, and I head up the lake counseling ministry. Noni heads up our lake counseling ministry, and... Pammy is saying in the background, I know it's Pammy's voice without turning around, that she's a great counselor. She is, and that's your reputation all over the church, Noni. Um, and you're saying that this is the most difficult issue that you deal with in counseling because people tend to compartmentalize and say, for instance, that what? Ah, since this happened to me, God doesn't love me. Since this happened to me, God's not just, or something like that. <clears throat> and there's a tendency, and you know, the whole book of Job is about that. Job, Job the temptation was, is he going to think that life is unfair, that God is unfair? But he didn't. Uh, he didn't sin or charge God with wrong. But that's the temptation. And this idea of God's unity reminds us that though we don't understand it at times, yet God is God, and he's, he's not unjust. He hasn't ceased to be God. He hasn't ceased to be loving. Good. Thank you. Thank you. You think he's been unwise regarding your life? Um, hmm. Sometimes it's easy to think that, isn't it? But again, he's a God of wisdom, and, and we, we, in the end, will know that he has been wise. Carol? I just We listened to Joel Osteen when we were getting ready for church, and he used an example this morning that he had prayed when he was younger that this woman would accept his proposal. <laughs> yep. And he was so disappointed yep. that was God. Yep. But he went to a class reunion recently. Yep. And now he was very thankful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now just those people around Carol heard this. A pastor she heard on the radio this morning said he was really disappointed that someone, a woman didn't accept his proposal for marriage. Um, a long time ago. Uh, 
and and he prayed for it, prayed that, he, and God didn't grant his request, and he just went to a high school reunion or a class reunion and decided that God was wiser than he. <laughs> oh, how many of you, I'm going to put myself in this category, how many of you are glad that God didn't have you marry an earlier girlfriend or boyfriend? I, <laughs> yes, a lot of Okay, even though it was disappointing at the time. Whoops, maybe I'm getting somebody in trouble. Okay. <laughs> you're all supposed to raise your hand if you're married. Okay. <laughs> oh. So there's a there's a long-term perspective that he is wise. He is he is just, he is fair and and just we should just always remember that he is God, he is worthy of worship and trust and praise. And he will do good. And here's one for me. Do we ever think that regarding world affairs, God is unwise or too slow to act or unloving or not powerful enough to carry out his wise plans? I mean, I, I do think we should pray, and I'm concerned about events in our nation, events in the world, and, and, I, and I think it's right that we pray, and I do pray. Yet, in addition to praying, praying earnestly, I think we have to realize that God will fulfill his plans. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to reign over the earth. He's going to be triumphant, and God will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, as much as it seems discouraging at times. Okay. Isaiah 49, remember the former things of old, for I am God, says the Lord. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The purposes of the Lord are sure and they will be accomplished. And we can rest in that and that they are wise purposes. And regarding us, I think it could be said, as well as regarding the exiles uh, from Israel, or of, of the Jews, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. We'll come to heaven. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And the Lord says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Trust in God. Delight in him. Believe him. Thank him. He is wise and good. That's God's unity. Now, sometimes on these attributes of God, I want to say, he has made us to be like him. So can we imitate his unity in some ways? Because Ephesians 5.1 tells us we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. So every time we come to an attribute of God, God is truthful. Well, we should be truthful. God is loving. We should be loving, etc. God is just. We should be fair and just. Well, how about on this? I think this idea of God's unity, that every attribute uh, characterizes all of God's being and all of his actions. So I think are all our actions and thoughts consistent with a Christ-like character? That is, those of us who are concerned about justice and that everything is done rightly, well, do you act with loving justice? Or you always want to speak the truth, do you speak with kind truthfulness? 
Or do you speak with truthful kindness as opposed to just letting wrong go on forever and not be, not be challenged? Is, it, is there a truthful kindness? Do you act with patient wisdom, even if you know the answer immediately? Do you live with a beautiful, joyful holiness of life? Not a holiness that's sort of... Mm, what's the opposite of a joyful holiness? Just kind of... Hmm? Oh, 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 I'm not hearing it, but, but overly uh, stuffy, kind of uh, uh, too pious, kind of over, over, super religious kind of holiness. Or is there, a, or is there a beautiful holiness, a holiness that attracts others to you? Do you have a unified, consistent character? That is, we should ask ourselves: Are we acting the same way on Monday that we do on Sunday morning? Um, is there a consistency at home? And in the neighborhood, and with friends, and uh, and uh, and with non-Christians, and with Christians, is there a consistency? Do we have a kind of an integrated wholeness to our character, so that the Christ-likeness that God has given to us is not just affecting a little bit of our life, but is affecting all of our lives? Those are just applications of God's unity. All right, good attribute. We're going to skip the song. We're going to go on to. Uh, that's the end of those incommunicable attributes. That was the tail end. And now I want to start talking about 25 communicable attributes of God, and we're going to do two this morning, I hope. I, and where's the handout? Uh, about 11.30 last night I decided I'm not going to do a handout this morning. I'll give you one the next time. Why do I do these on Saturday night? I don't know. It's just other stuff going on during the week. Um, so just uh, we can just kind of enjoy this for a few minutes. Uh, and the next handout I give uh, three weeks from today, then I'll have this stuff on it and some more. Um, communicable attributes. Uh, attributes describing God's being. And here now the question is, all right, we want to know who God is. What is God made of? What is his being like? And here we come to this attribute of God's spirituality. The Bible says that God is spirit. That's Jesus in John 4. And here's, here's, here's my attempt at definition. God's spirituality means that God exists as a being that is not made of any matter, has no parts or dimensions, is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses, and is more excellent than any other kind of existence. When Jesus was at the well in Samaria talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he got in this conversation. She said, well, you know, um, our, our fathers say that we're supposed to... You, you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers say we're supposed to worship here in Samaria. And she was getting a discussion of where you have to be, what location to worship God. <clears throat> and Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is, he's not limited to some location, like he's an item in the creation, like he's a created being 
He's spirit. And I think by that, he's, Jesus is, talk, is referring partly to God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere present, but also that he isn't, really, he isn't limited to a spatial location. He doesn't have size or physical dimensions, like we talked about with God's omnipresence. God is spirit. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, God forbids us to portray or think of his very being as similar to anything in the physical creation. The people of Israel were tempted. They were saying, what is God like? I want to have some object. I want to think of some visible thing so I can have something to refer to in my mind when I think about God. And God says, don't do that. In other words, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Why is God's jealousy connected to not making these images? Well, the people of Israel made a golden calf, and they started bowing down and serving it. They probably thought a calf, a symbol of life and nourishment and fertility and strength, isn't this honoring God to make, you know, make this calf and say, oh, this is, this is what God is like. But what, what does a calf, when saying God is like a, a, a calf, a young calf growing strong, full of life, what does it tell you wrongly about God? He's dumb! <laughs> I mean, a calf it doesn't have a lot of brains, right? What else? How is his verbal communication skill? Can't speak? What else does it tell you wrongly about God? It's finite. finite. Just limited. Well, what else? Not what? Not loving. Not loving, yeah. Whoever had a calf love you? Not very much. (laughs) What else? Yes, we're superior to those animals. We're to rule over them. And so it's making God into an image of something that's supposed to be serving us. Horrible. How about holiness? How about justice? How about eternity? How about omnipresence? How about omniscience? Oh, my goodness. And and God looks down, and the people of Israel saying, this is what God is like who brought you out of the land of Egypt. How do you feel when people lie about you? When they misrepresent you, they say you're something other than what you are. That golden calf, that was so dishonoring to God, it was really blasphemy to say that the the omnipotent, eternal God who created the heavens and the earth, that he's like this calf, this little dumb animal. No wonder God was angry. It's misrepresenting him. He's a jealous God. He does not want us to think of him as limited to any physical form, any likeness of anything in the heaven above, not like an angel, not like the sun. People were worshiping the sun or the moon or these angelic beings. No, God said, don't think of me like that. Or in the earth beneath, not like a human being, not like these fertility goddesses of the ancient world or Egyptian sun gods, or whatever, not like human beings, or in the waters under the earth, not like Dagon, this fish god that the Philistines had, not anything like that. Don't do that. 
God is spirit. He is spirit. What does he like? Well, wait a minute. We say, well, wait a minute. I want to know what you're like, God. I want to be able to think of you. What are you like in your very being? Jesus said, God is spirit. So God does not have a physical body. And here we differ with our Mormon friends and say, oh my goodness, if you say that God has a physical body, you are limiting God in many of the ways that the Israelites limited God when they made a golden calf, finite, finite in knowledge, imperfect in many ways, subject to weaknesses. Now, I know that Christ took on a human nature and, and Jesus still today lives in heaven as God-man. And we'll get to that in about chapter 26, maybe a year from now, I don't know. And so, yes, um, it's true that Jesus became a man and God and man joined together in one person. But put that aside for a minute. I want to talk about God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, or God the Son before uh, he came to earth. God does not have a human nature to have our physical nature. If God had a physical nature, it would deny so many of his attributes. It would say he's not independent because he needs something to nourish him. He's not omnipotent because a finite body is limited in strength. It says, it says he's not omnipresent because a body is physical. It's one place at one time. It would say that God is not eternal because it's matter and therefore it began at one point didn't always exist, and, and it would deny his unchangeableness because bodies change over time, and it, it would deny much of God's character to say that he has a physical body. I know that the Bible uses images. It says God's hand, his ear, his eye. It just uses figures of speech that way, but it also says that God is a rock. That means he's dependable. It says that he's a consuming fire, It just and we talked about that a few weeks ago. The Bible uses lots of imagery poetic kind of or metaphorical imagery, but it doesn't mean that God really has a physical body. It just means that he acts in some ways like that. Yep. He helped me so much two years ago when you were talking about this because I, um, in an in an, um, ignorant innocence, pictured God the Father as this gray-haired, beautiful beard on a throne with a velvet robe, and I would... Um, in, you know, in my prayers even, I would say that, you know, feel like I was climbing up in his lap. Yep, yep, yep. And when you said, don't do that, Tammy, that's, that's, that's not right. Mm-hmm. You brought that about the cow uh, and that. That really changed my prayer life wow. so much. And I thank you for that and speaking the truth. And it is it brought about more of a reverence for this because what I was doing was I was thinking I could understand and and uh, you know put God. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and and you can't. And that totally uh, changed my prayer life. In good. Good. As unthinkable, really. Good. I'm not going to do justice to that repeating it, Pammy. But I think probably some of you didn't hear. Pammy said uh, a couple years ago when we talked about this that it really helped her prayer life because she had been thinking of God as kind of a grandfatherly figure with a long white beard and a velvet robe sitting on the throne. And when we talked about this and said, don't think of God that way, it really helped her prayer life. It led to a greater sense of reverence and awe for him that he is omnipotent and he's spirit. And I think that's where I want to go with that again this morning. So thank you. Um, so God is not made of anything like the things in the creation. God is not energy or just thought or anything else in creation. 
God is spirit. Well, now when we hear that, we tend to think, oh, I was hoping for something better. (laughs) That is, spirit seems so much like a vapor, so unsubstantial, so, so less real, so less desirable. So I want us to think for a minute about what this means that God is spirit. What kind of existence is this? God's being as spirit is so powerful that he created the universe out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Do you ever try to create something out of nothing? Don? Here you go. You ready? I'm going to give you something here. Try to make a rabbit. <laughs> you keep out of nothing. I mean, you couldn't even do it if I gave you a bunch of dirt and clay and everything. But he spoke. And it came to be. God's existence as spirit is of such a kind that he is so powerful that he spoke and, and the whole universe appeared. It, it began to exist. Now, how much is the universe? Well, I don't know if you've ever flown around the world. I haven't, but it's 25,000 miles, and it's a long journey around the world. The world's big. But the sun is the size of one million Earths. You could take one million spheres the size of our Earth and put it inside the sun. And the sun on the inside is hotter than Arizona. It's 29 million degrees Fahrenheit, and there's like thousands of nuclear explosions going on all the time, every minute. That's how much energy is produced by the sun. All the energy produced in the whole history of the earth is equal to the energy produced by the sun in one second. And the sun is one star. And current estimate is there are 400 billion stars in our neighborhood, that is, in the Milky Way galaxy, 400 billion stars. You can see about 5,000 of them on a dark, clear night. If you go out of town, you see about 5,000 with your naked eye. There are 400 billion so far in our galaxy. But that's only one galaxy. How many galaxies do you think there are? Five? Ten? Current estimate? 125 billion galaxies. Want to know how many stars there are? Write 10 and put 21 zeros after it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. More stars than we can ever imagine or comprehend. And then the intricate complexity of the earth and the bodies of living beings and living things. And he just spoke, and it came came to be. What kind of existence is this that God is spirit? So powerful that he can make everything else come into existence. So do you think that God's being as spirit is less real or a less desirable kind of existence? God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God is spirit indicates that his being is the most excellent kind of existence. It's 
it's more, it's more incredible than we can ever comprehend. What does it mean then to say that God is spirit? What is spirit? Mostly, I think we can say what it is not. God's spirituality means that God exists as a being that is not made of any matter. He created all matter. Matter is finite. Not made of any matter. Has no parts or dimensions. Is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses. That would mean it's, it's matter of some kind. It's created matter or energy. And yet it's more excellent than any other kind of existence. So here's the question in our hearts. Would you like to have God have a physical body and be limited? No. Are you glad that God is spirit? I am. I think we should be. We should. This is a, another excellent character of God that we should rejoice in. That God is spirit. How then should we think of God when we pray? If he's spirit. I don't think we should think of it as good as the art is in the Sistine Chapel ceiling in Rome with this picture of God as a long flowing beard reaching down, touching Adam. As good as the art is, it's, very, it's, it's bad theology. It gives a wrong picture of God. It pictures him as a, as a man. And uh, I don't think we should do that. So just erase that picture from your mind when you pray. But then how should you think of God when you pray? Well, I think you should think of him as not having any human form or any other material form. Just think of him as being present. Just as being present and very, very, very powerful. And all-knowing. Infinite in knowledge. And all-wise and loving, and just, and eternal. And he's present. He's present in every point of the universe with his whole being, not limited to any location, but present everywhere as spirit. Hmm. What's your name? Gary. Gary. Yes, we should think of him as our father. Yeah, as Abba Father, sure, yes. And the Bible tells us to think of him that way, but not in a physical form. Just he acts as Father to us, cares for us. God has given us, in terms of imitation, God has given us a spiritual nature that's not like him exactly, but it's something like his own nature. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That means when we're in the worship service, just across the sidewalk here, it's not just our brains and not just our voices that should be engaged, but, but there is a non-physical part of us, our spirit, that should be worshiping. And I think we can grow in our ability to sense when in our spirit we're worshiping too. Mary, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So she was aware of what was happening in the spiritual nature that she had, and I think we can be aware of that. In fact, Romans 8 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So somehow God has given us a little tiny speck of what it means to be spirit. He's given us a non-physical part of our being, 
And so we worship him as spirit. Okay, I can take a couple more questions and then we have to quit. I think I was going to do invisibility, but invisibility's got to wait till next time. What's your name? Rosemary. I just wondered how this fits in with Genesis, where he says, God says, let us make man on our image. Yes. Okay. It fits right here. How does it fit in with Genesis? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Uh, where God made us to be like him. More like him than anything else. I, uh, um, the Bougainvillea plants don't have a spirit. Uh, the cactuses don't have spirit. We're, we have a spirit. Um, so he's made us to be like him in just a little way that way. Made in his image means to be like him in a lot of ways. We have intelligence. We have verbal communication skills. We have creativity. We have we can act in love. We can act in holiness. We can act in many ways like him. But we don't have an infinite spirit that's powerful. And we can create out of other things. We can draw or cook or garden or have children. Um, but it isn't uh, like God's creating out of nothing. Mm-hmm. We use matter, yeah. What else, E.G.? Would you comment just a bit on uh, not making images and ah. with God's instructions regarding the making of the art? Yes, okay, not make images. I. That doesn't mean make, don't make images of anything, because God commands artwork in the Old Testament, in the temple. You've got the cherubim over the, over the ark, and you've got images around the you know, figures of pomegranates and other fruit things in, in the temple. So I think it means don't make them to worship them. Don't think that God is like this. Now the question comes, so I don't think it's right to have pictures of God the Father, okay? But is it right to have pictures of Jesus? I think that's okay. And the reason is that Jesus did come to earth as a man. And you, you can't read the Gospels without thinking of Jesus as a man. You've got to have a picture in your mind of Jesus reaching out and touching people, healing them, breaking bread, um, working as a carpenter, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think it's okay to, make, to, to mentally think of Jesus as a man on earth, because he was, and to have pictures of Jesus uh, kind of as a way of portraying what he was on earth. That's not wrong. As far as the ark is concerned, how did the Israelites do that? Did they worship that? No, the Israelites did not worship the ark or the cherubim over the ark. There was a, the cherubim had these wings stretched out, and God's glory was over that, so that there was a there was a light of glory that manifested God's presence. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What's your name? Uh, Greg. Greg. Yeah, I know you. The preexistent Christ. Yes. When he was in heaven, yeah. the Christ was. Uh, to God's form or okay. Okay, Christ, before Christ came to earth, he was the Son of God eternally, but did not have a body. Before, he, I mean, he existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'll get to the Trinity in a few weeks. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three existed eternally, three persons, one God. But, but there was no physical human nature attached to the Son until he was conceived in Mary's womb. I, I work a lot with all the other people, and I deal with them and try to. Yeah. 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 Okay. What about wrestling with Jacob? Yeah. What about wrestling with Jacob? Um, next week. Because <laughs> it's just about two more slides from here. Let's just do one more. Anybody else here? What's your name? Eloise. Thinking of a lot of people speak of their spirituality. Yes. Do we have a connection when we talk to other faiths? I mean, they really don't believe in God. 
Ah, yes, okay. Yes, okay, good question. Um, other people from other religions uh, do talk about their spirituality and things like that. What happens is, um, in the spiritual realm, we have a spirit that's not visible, but it's part of us, and then, and God is spirit, and the Holy Spirit invisibly works in us, but also there are angels in the spiritual realm that we don't see. They're present here in the room, because the Bible talks about them, and there are evil angels or demons. And Paul, when he was writing to first, the first Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, I believe, he said, and he's writing to a city full of all sorts of other religions, Greek religions, they had all these temples. He said, do you not know that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God? So I think there is, in non-Christian religions, a genuine spiritual event happening, and people think it's, but it's, but it's not from God. I think it's from evil angels that are contact that these people are contacting, and and as a result, non-Christian religions will generally lead people to eventually to all sorts of destructive and harmful practices. I think of Hinduism, people beating themselves and destroying their bodies. I think of Buddhism, people trying to get rid of all their desires and dehumanize themselves. I think of Islam, where there's just this violence that comes out, not among all but among some parts of it. And, and so I've, I view with sadness what is, I think, a genuine spiritual but wrongful spiritual influence in other religions. God is the one true God. We worship him um, through Jesus. Let's sing. Oh, we're too late. It's 9.28, and I have to get out. All right, see you uh, in three weeks. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, yeah, okay.